uh, stamp bring a message and the message was very well laid out and it's also very good as well. The last time we were together we studied and we finished up um, there in Zechariah chapter 1, now moving in chapter 2, That's uh, the notes are in the back and I think they'll be pretty good as well. We're going to read down uh, 13 verses, so we'll read it all together, and then afterwards let's go over to the book of Revelation, and then we're going to pick up from there as well. So Zechariah chapter 2, it says, I lifted up mine eyes again and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. And I said, Whether goest thou? And he said unto me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what is the breadth thereof, and what is the length thereof. And behold, the angel that uh, talked with me went forth, and another angel went out to meet him, and said unto him, Run, speak this to the young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls, for a multitude of men cattle therein. For I, saith the Lord, will be unto her a wall of fire round about, and will be the glory in the midst of her. Ho, ho, come forth, and flee from the land of the north, saith the Lord. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of heaven, saith the Lord. Deliver thyself, O Zion, that dwellest with the daughter of Babylon. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, after the glory hath he sent me unto the nations, which spoiled you, for he hath touched you, toucheth the apple of his eye. For behold, I will shake mine hand upon them, and they shall be a spoil to their servants, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. And many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of thee. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto thee, and the Lord shall inhabit Judah, his portion in the holy land, and shall choose Jerusalem again. Be silent, O all flesh, before the Lord, for he is raised up out of a holy habitation. Now let's take you and hold your place here, if you will, because we will be returning back to this particular chapter. And let's go to the book of Revelation, chapter 11. And in Revelation chapter 11, we're going to read the three verses that uh, we have as our text. Verses 1 through 3. Revelation chapter 11, verse 1. And there was given me a reed unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Wise and measure the temple of God, and the altar, and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple leave out, and measure it not, for it giveth unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, we want to thank you for the time that we can be together, and I pray that, Father, that you will bless in our study today. We want to thank you for the measure of your righteousness and the goodness that you bring to us each and every day. May we rejoice in all that you give us. Help us, dear Father, to understand. Guide us, bless, and keep us in all things. Help us, dear Father, to know the truth of the things that are about to happen and things that will come to us in short order. And we will bring all the glory and the praise back to you, Father, for you indeed are worthy. In Christ we pray. Amen. So in our opening statement it says, It is amazing to me that many want to dismiss the Old Testament, saying that everything from the Old Testament has been fulfilled. Now, I'll stop right there. Let me explain something to you. 
there's a lot of people in this world that they refuse to look at the prophecies of the Old Testament at all. And the thing is, they're saying is, well, everything we should know needs to be wrapped up in the New Testament. Now, what's interesting is you can go back to the book of uh, Matthew, and once again, the Lord is refers back to the Old Testament and everything that he gives, especially when you take a look at Matthew chapter 24 and on. Well, here's another one. I want you to see this with me, if you will. Let's go to the book of Isaiah just for a moment. And in Isaiah, we're going to go to chapter 11. And I want you to hear what it says in chapter 11. Uh, if you will, let's go down to verse 3. And shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and shall judge and not judge after the sight of the eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth, and shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be uh, the shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girl of his reigns. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion, and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Now, we'll, I just want to stop there, and we'll go ahead a little bit further. I tell this to people, if this is already fulfilled, when did this happen? Now, the reality is, is a very simple question we need to ask everyone is this. When did this happen? And so when people want to dismiss the Old Testament, they, they really are trying to get a little bit more uh, challenging with their thoughts. There's one promise that was given over to Abraham. Now, I want you to turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 17. I think that's where we want to find it. Uh, Genesis chapter 17, and once again, we find that the Lord God gives a promise unto Abraham and his seed. All right, let me get up. Well, I went too far one way and went too far the other way. There we go. Chapter 17. Well, matter of fact, let's go, uh, let's go back to verse uh, 15, or chapter 15. It says in beginning in verse 16, But in the fourth generation they shall come thither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it uh, came to pass that when the sun went down, and the dark, uh, behold, a smoking furnace, and a burning lamp that passed between the pieces. And in the same day the Lord God made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this lamb from the river of Egypt, Unto the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, and the Kazanites, and the Kamenites, and the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Raphians, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Gugasites, and the Jebusites. Reality is, is that the Lord has already promised to Israel, I'm going to give you all this land. The promise was made to Abraham, I'm going to give you the land from the, what we call the Nile River, all the way through Goshen, all the way over to the Euphrates River, which is Babylon, I'm going to give you all of this area. And I asked a person this question one time. I said, when did God give that to Abraham? And in a very coy way, he said, oh, well, you know, it wasn't done just through Israel. It was done through all of his seed. I said, the promise is to Abraham and his seed. I said, Ishmael is never classified as his seed. It's his son, that's true. But it's never been the promised seed. And I said, no matter how you look at it, I said, you're trying to mix metaphors, you're trying to mix in your beliefs, 
because you have an amillennial belief. And I said, my question to you is, when did this happen? When has all of this occurred? And because it's never completely occurred, you want to turn around and say, well, uh, I, I can't answer you, so I'm going to bring all this into place by saying it had to happen to other people. Well, understand this. The Kazanites, the Kamenites, and on, and on down the list, all those people would, are permanently ensconced in the land right now. All of those are going to be taken away. That means everyone in Iran, everyone in Iraq, everyone in Syria, everyone in Jordan, everyone in Palestine, even over to the land of Goshen. All of that is going to become part of Israel, with the exception of the Edomites and things of this nature. Now, again, I'm not trying to get into anybody's business. They can believe what they want to believe. They can read the Bible for their, themselves. But the reality is, if we're going to say that we believe the Bible, let's not just pick the portion we're going to believe. It's the old adage that years ago someone took a cheap Bible and he went to work and uh, he would get into the discussions with one man and he said, uh, he would mention something from the Bible. The guy goes, I don't believe that. And he'd rip that page out. He'd go on to discuss some more. He'd rip some more pages out. And afterwards he had just a little few pages that were left over. And he said, you say you believe the Bible, but in reality this is all you believe. It is, it behooves us, and I, I, I like that word behooves, it is a responsibility that we have to learn the Bible in every way that we can. I'm not asking you to believe like Mike Prater believes. I'm not asking you to hold to everything that I hold to. But the reality is, is that as we go today, we've got to stop thinking about what others might feel, what, how others might accept things, how others may uh, respond to our teachings, and instead say, you know, you're right. Look what else it says. It also amazes me that the parties I refer to also will not continue with me unless I agree with them. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Let's go to the book of Revelation. And let's go to chapter 3, or chapter 1, excuse me. And we're going to go to verse 1. I, I entered into a discussion with a man one time, and here's what he said to me. Look what it says in verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show his servant things which must shortly come to pass, and, to sent, and, sent, and he sent and signified it with, by his angel unto a ser servant John. He argued with me for about three different studies about the word shortly, meaning that it's already happened. In his mind, that word shortly was that it's already happened, therefore you've got to agree with me or we can't continue on with our studies. He then turned that into everything that's in the Old Testament must also have already occurred or we can't agree. And I said, you're wanting me to dismiss the Bible and say that it's, everything has already been fulfilled because of times past and so that it has already fulfilled itself. I said, I don't agree with you. I said, there is a reason we study the Word of God. Why do you think we need to point out the book of Genesis? It establishes immediately, in the beginning, God. Do you realize that there's no explanation for God? It immediately points out that God was there in the beginning, and we don't know anything more about God at that point. We have the rest of the Bible to reveal to us the things of God, 
to learn of God and to have those things in the place. But to say that something is completely fulfilled when there are too many evidences that it's not there, I'm not going to agree with you. And if that's what it takes for me to study with you, then we're already at an impasse. We might as well end our studies. All right? Look what else it says. How can I agree with them when I don't? If we fall victim to this tactic, then later on, we will be brought up as, this will be brought up as a moral victory. For those that want to say the Old Testament is fulfilled, they are left with one particular question. Why did Jesus constantly speak of the Old Testament, and why would the Jews who hold only to the Old Testament look for the one true Messiah? You've got to understand something. The Jewish people are still holding on to the previous, what we would call the Masoretic text, the 30 nine books of the Old Testament. They hold on to that. They're not going to go any further. They're saying this, we're waiting for Messiah. We were, we're waiting for Messiah. They have dismissed the New Testament, which was written quite literally within 100 years. And so they're dismissing the New Testament, saying is that, that has nothing to do with everything. We hold to the Old Testament, and we hold to the New Testament, because we believe that Messiah has come. And because he has fulfilled the law, because he kept the law, because he made sure that he uh, was able to stand for all unrighteousness because of his holiness against the law, we have nothing but Jesus to hold to as our promise. Now, here's the thing that's interesting. I want you to look at this over in Zechariah chapter 2. And notice again it said, I lifted up my eyes again and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Now, I don't know about you, but there are those people that have the abilities to uh, landscape, if you will, or they, they can go out with a theodolite or with a small tripod, and they can literally figure out how all the dimensions are on a particular property. And uh, what's interesting is that when they do that survey, they point out every little detail. I don't know how many of you all know this, but many, many years ago, George Washington was one of the first surveyors coming across uh, the Appalachian Hills. And that's the first creation of what we call the Mason-Dixon line. Well, they just recently went back across that very line to see if the survey is still in place, and it is and it hasn't moved one iota. Uh, they said it's a remarkable using what little known equipment he had that it would occur. Years ago, Tony said he had bought some land over in Colorado, and he said, uh, Dad, I'd like for you to walk the line with me. I walked with him just a little bit. Man, it's down one hill, up another, and those hills are jagged. I'm going to tell you what, it, it will take everything in your power to just navigate those hills. Your strength is gone. You've you got cramps in your legs. I mean, if you don't drink lots of water while you're surveying those hills, you're in trouble. And when we walked the line and we did all the surveying, in fact, what was funny, he said, I think I own that hill right over there. I said, you, you, you think? He said, yeah. I said, I'm almost certain that's that hill. We walked all the way up to the top of that hill, and he goes, nope, I'm wrong. It's that hill. We had to come down that hill, go over the other hill, and I said, are you sure this is the hill? And he laughed. He goes, yeah, this is the hill. And we walked up that hill. Man, I went home that night. I had cramps in the back of my legs, in my calves, inside of my legs, everything else from just all of the exertion of climbing those hills. But he had in his hand a little electronic surveying 
uh, device. It worked off the compasses of the, the satellites that are in the air. And again, it's more remarkable because the thing is, it will literally tell, almost pinpoint where your survey marks are. We went right over to one area and he said, there should be a survey mark right about there. And we pointed out and there it was. That's how close it was. And the thing is, when we take a look at this, there is a measurement of Jerusalem. There are two measurements I want you to see. The first one is, there is this man that is measuring with this measuring line, which would be the same as what we call rods. And literally, he is measuring Jerusalem. Look what else it says in verse 2. Then, I, then said I, Whether goest thou? And he said unto me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what is the breadth thereof, and what is the length thereof. Now, remember this, is that this was a time where people should have already known the length of it. But this is in the properties of prophecy. Now, when you think about the properties of prophecy, I want you to look what else it says. In verse 3, Behold, the angel that talked with me went forth, and another angel went forth to meet him, and said unto him, Run. Not, not to me. He said to the man, Run. Speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls. Now, understand this. This was Zechariah, who has now given us the picture. And while we're looking at this, I want you to look at this. So let's go over back to the book of Nehemiah, and let's go to uh, chapter 5. Nehemiah chapter 5. Let me get over there. Um, I want you to see this. All right, here we go. Here we go. All right, look, at, look if you will, Nehemiah chapter 5. And let's go to verse, let's go to verse 1. And there was a great cry of the people and of their wives against the brethren of the Jews. For there were, uh, there, and for there were that said, We, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore we take up corn for them, and we may eat and live. Some also there were that said, We have mortgaged our lands, our vineyards, houses, that we might buy corn because of the dearth. There were those that said, We have borrowed money for the king's tribute, that our hand, that our lands and, and vineyards, yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children, and lo, we bring unto bondage our sons and our daughters. Now, you've got to understand this. The whole concept of Nehemiah was to build walls to protect the people. And here, in the book of Zechariah, during the same time frame, there are no walls. So, the, the thing I look at people is this. Nehemiah was building the walls. Zechariah was not seeing any walls. There was a complete openness. So how can these two things coincide? Matter of fact, I want to point this out to you. I, had, I asked this question of a person once before, and their answer was rather deceptive. He said this had to be the time while they were building the walls, not during the time that the walls were finished. Most of us think that, I, I don't know how many of you have studied this, but let's go over to, to Nehemiah chapter 6 and let's go down to verse 15. And notice that it didn't take long to build the walls. In verse 15, so the wall was, was finished, 
in twenty and fifth day of the month Elhu, and fifty and two days. Do you realize that they built the walls up around Jerusalem in a matter of fifty-two days? From the time that they started, and now the rest of Jerusalem took forty-nine years to build, because you still had uh, the city had to be finished off. You had, you know, the landscape, the towers, the the uh, the, if you will, the king's mansion. All of that had to be done. But in the meantime, the walls were already secure. They hadn't put all the gates in yet, but all the walls were secured. When you take a look at Zechariah chapter 2, this is speaking of people that are in and out of the land. And I want you to see what is going to happen with those that are within and out of the land. Let's go to verse 4 of Zechariah chapter 2. And he saith unto him, Run, speak to this young man, saying, uh, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls for the multitude of men and cattle therein. For I, saith the Lord, will be unto her a wall of fire round about and will be the glory in the midst of her. Now, this is the part that I really began to think about and how challenging it had to be, not only for me, but for other people as well. The reality is, and, and we could go back and take a look at all the atrocities that were going on, Nehemiah, as he built up the walls, wanted to sanctify and to keep as much as possible Jerusalem from the inhabitants of the land. Now remember, there were some Jews that were left behind. There were those that said, we have every right to the city, but they never rebuilt the city. They were, literally, they didn't want to see the city rebuilt. And, and here's the reason why. It's a high fortification. It was hard to penetrate. It was a difficult place to, to win any kind of victory. But then, and you've got to see this. So let's go back to Nehemiah one more time. And this time go to chapter 13. The weakness of individuals came into place that they allowed even those individuals that had caused so much trouble to Jerusalem, Sambalot and Tobiah and all of those. And notice what happens here. Let's go down to verse 7 of uh, uh, Nehemiah 13. And I came to Jerusalem and understood of the evil that Eliashib did for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the courts in the house of God. Now, this is the same Tobiah that had joined along with the individual saying, man, if a fox goes up and touches the wall, the wall will fall down. This is the same Tobiah that tried to get uh, Nehemiah to co come to them, you know, because they wanted to praise him for all of his hard work, where in fact they wanted to kill him. But now he has been able to infiltrate the very house of God and say uh, unto them that, uh, you know, that are there, hey, I, I just want to worship with you all. Look what it says in verse 8. And it grieved me sore, therefore I cast forth all the houses of the Tobiah out of the chamber. In other words, Tobiah, what did you do with us? Get him out of here. Then I commanded and cleansed the chamber, and thither brought I again the vessels of the house of God with the meat offering and the frankincense. In other words, this Tobiah had lifted himself up as being someone of great, of great responsibility, of, of great magnitude. And Nehemiah said, this man is nothing. He doesn't belong in the house of God. Let's get rid of him. And he had And I perceived that the portion of the Levites had not been given to him. 
What does that mean? Do you realize that the Levite had a responsibility to receive a certain daily portion of meat, of unleavened bread, of wine, things that they needed for their, their livelihood? How does Nehemiah know that they were not being taken care of? Look what else it says. For the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled, everyone to his field. In other words, they were having to go glean. They had to fend for themselves. And the, the reason that we, we find this so alarming, they had a work to do in the house of God. Nehemiah said, this is your responsibility, to sing praises to God. Yeah, we had paid, we had paid singers. But they were paid from the, the food that was being brought in. They were being paid from the, the music that they sang. All of these things were in place. Then contended I with the rulers and said, Why in place? In other words, Ezra, you, you started a good work. I had a preacher not too long ago point this out that, you know, if we really are ready to stop playing God or playing with the house of God, then we will get serious. To me, this is one of the most magnificent places we ought to ever want to be in. I love the idea of coming to the house of God. I love preaching the word of God. I love enjoying the things of God. Verse 12, Then brought all Judah the tithes of the corn and the new wine and the oil to the treasures. What were the people complaining about over in chapter 6? What were they complaining about in chapter 5? We don't have any of this stuff. Could it have been the Levites and the singers that were complaining we don't have what we need to survive? Notice what else it says. And I made treasures over the treasuries. Uh, Shechaniah, the priest, and Zadok, the scribe, and of the Levites, Padiah, and next to him was Hannah, the son of Zakur, and the son of Matina, for they were counted faithful, and their office was to distribute unto their brethren. In other words, let's set things right to make sure it's there. Now, I want to go back over to Zechariah chapter 2. The Lord himself is saying is, I'm going to watch out for everything, and I'm going to keep it pure, and I'm going to keep it clean. This is the same Lord, and I want you to see what else he would say. And let's go to Matthew chapter 24. And look what else the Lord would say about Jerusalem. Now I want you to go down to verse 1, and let's go ahead, and I think, we, uh, well, let's go to verse 2. And Jesus saith unto them, See all these things? Now take a look around you. See all these things? There was the magnificence of what we now call Herod's temple. You know, so you, you started off with the, the tabernacle. Then you had Solomon's temple. Then there was the rebuilt temple of Nehemiah's days. And then there was the glory that was added by Herod, in other words, to appease the leadership of, of Jerusalem. And the Lord looked at him and said, You see all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. The Lord looked at the apostles and he goes, This temple shall be thrown down. And this temple shall be destroyed. And when it is destroyed, then you will know my words are true. There has never been a place like this Solomon's temple or like Herod's temple ever again. One of the things we're going to look at a little bit later is that 
right now we know that the Muslims have come in and they've done everything in their power to try to mop up and try to clean up all the situations. There's, there's so many stories out there, and, and I want you all to be, please be careful whenever you look at something on the internet. Because, and a lot of people try to get their theology off of Facebook, and I, I tell people, Facebook or YouTube or anything else, remember, it's still man-made information. Now, I might garner a little bit, but whatever I get, I should be able to find even more detail to support it. The reality is, when you see those priests, when you see the common people, the rabbis, and they're doing their, their, their movement like this, what they're doing is they're, they're, they're in the middle of prayer. And it is illegal, now I want you to get this, it is illegal for them to put any kind of prayer sheets on that wall. It's illegal. In other words, to keep responsibility and to make sure that the Muslims are not upset. And you have all these black-clad women that are going to be walking around with their, with their robes on and all this covering, and yet these men are praying, Oh, Lord, hear our prayer. Oh, Lord, hear our prayer. And Lord, here's my prayer to you right now. And they will read that piece of paper, and then they find a little tiny spot where they can hide that paper in the wall to let it be known that my prayer continues even to this hour and this day. They don't just pray for their family that is sick. They're praying that God will restore the building of the tabernacle to re rebuild the temple that is going to be on the mount. And the reality is, is that there has got to come a time where everything is going to fall into place, that everything is going to be great. Now, I want you to get this. In the, in the entire time that they rebuilt the city, when, the, when, they, when Ezra rebuilt the temple, when Nehemiah saw fit to build the walls, when he built everything up, there was one area that they had to contend with. And I want you to see this right now. Let's go back to the book of Revelation, and this time I want us to go to chapter 11. And I've happened upon this, and I found something that I want to read to you on, and I put it in the notes as well. In Revelation chapter 11, notice again it says, And there was given me a reed like unto a rod. Now understand this, is that the rod's length is a part of the measuring of the courtyard, okay? And the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God. This is the second measurement we've talked about. Not just the, the inhabitants of the city, but the temple site. We've got to remember that the dome of the rock is presently on the temple site. It doesn't take up the entire temple site because that whole and the altar and then that worship therein. But the court, which is without the temple, leave out. Do you realize that the court was as much a part of the tabernacle as the tabernacle itself? The court around the temple was as much a part of the temple as the temple itself. This was the holy ground, and that's why when you walk up on top and you see that great plateau, imagine that you had the temple that was built and the entire court, and then you would get an idea how much livestock would have to come in. But look what else it says. But the court which is without the temple leave out, and measure it not, for it giveth unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months." 
And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. Now, why do I bring this up to you? I want to show this to you. <coughs> We're not going to get through all of our notes today. But I want you to go to the very last paragraph that I gave to you all. Now, this was printed from the Jewish website. And listen what it says. How many, many, however, many religious Jews do not support this idea because they adopted a dysphoria mentality, meaning they, a compromising mentality. I, I want you to stop there for a moment. Do you realize that Israel has been trained and taught to have a compromising mentality? Israel became a nation in May of 1948. The moment they became a nation, they became under attack. And at that moment, the American forces and the British forces had to protect Israel. Most of us are too young to remember the 67 wars, or anybody that lived during the 67 wars. They also discovered that, for the most part, Israel defended themselves. But it wasn't until the 73 wars, oftentimes I think they're called the Yom Kippur Wars, but it was also on that particular time that I was in the military, I had just joined, and already we were sending F-4s over when Israel pushed back their enemies on their own. We did not even help them out. They became a nation on their own in 1973. But, after they won the, the Gaza Strip, after they won, after they pushed past Jerusalem, I, I, do you remember, if you ever get a chance, and you want to go back and look at some of the photographs, there were people that were crying and weeping and kissing the walls, and they were kissing the ground. They were literally looking at that temple site, and they were rejoicing because they had something brand new. They had obtained an area, but it was along the path that slowly but surely, beginning with, if you will, Jimmy Carter, he had them forsake some of their land. And how many of y'all remember the picture of um, Sadat, it was uh, Anwar Sadat, and the Jewish leader shaking hands as they give up some of the, Gol the, Go the uh, Golan Heights and some of the uh, Gaza Strip? How many of you all remember how that, it was even George Bush the first, that he said, look, you know, stay out of the war, Israel, that we're going to have with the Gulf. Even though you have missiles that are raining down upon you, give us a chance to defend you. Give us a chance to protect you. They have this compromising state. But listen to what else it says. And a spiritualized way of thinking which sets aside hope and literal fulfillment of biblical prophecies regarding a future temple. For them, the present political situation on the Temple Mount with Muslims controlling the site is acceptable. They don't mind the Muslims accepting this area. Jewish leaders in the Temple Movement believe that the Jewish people are not living on the spiritual level of God intended because of the absence of the Shekinah divine presence from the world. Rabbi Tom Richman, director of the Temple Institute, which has produced all the, the ritual vessels necessary for the function of the temple and works to train priests for the, this future work, says there is a connection between the need for a new level of spiritual attachment, attainment and the rebuilding of the temple. In other words, 
they are ready to compromise. The Shekinah is brought about only through the temple. In terms of our mission as a people, we cannot in any way reach our spiritual status without the temple. For all Orthodox Jews committed to the reestablishment of the temple, both the present problems of this world and the problem faced by the Jewish people will be solved only by rebuilding. Now, I added that paragraph, and I know we're now running a little bit over our time, but I added that paragraph to get you to think about this. If the land is left for the Gentiles, do you realize, in contrast, one man will rise up and he will make a suggestion that they can keep the Dome of the Rock and will build the temple right next to it. And then everybody will have access to it. Everybody. The Gentiles as well as the Jews. Think about that for a moment. All right, we're going to, get, we're going to stop here. And I just wanted to plug a little bit of an idea upon you. Uh, you figure out our Facebook there, Joe? All right, we're going to be dismissing in a, in a final word of prayer, and then we're going to get started. Lord, thank you again for your blessings. Now, lead us and bless. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're dismissed.